predetermined from the very beginning of time that there would be an age when Christ would come, Messiah would come and open the doors of heaven and salvation to whosoever will, to all flesh, to all nations. It's a wondrous and marvelous mystery hidden through the ages of time. It's a display of God's love at the magnitude, magnitude that angels could not even dream nor could anyone understand, but was hidden within the mind and heart of God that Messiah, His Word, would become flesh and dwell among us so that He could remove the sin barrier between us and the Father so that His very Spirit could now dwell in us and make us sons of God. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. We've seen that in chapter 1. We looked at it in chapter 2, how God made out of Israel one new man, it's from Israel and the nations, the dividing wall, separation, removed so that now there is one body in Christ. And we come to chapter 3 to see this even further. It's a mystery that Paul begins to declare, and in 1 Corinthians 4.1 he says that we are to be called stewards of the mysteries of God. And that's what Paul was. He was a steward of this mystery. And he's going to explain it now and expound on it in chapter 3. Let me give you basically the theme of chapter 3. All that was hidden is now unveiled. And that unveiling is his bride, the church. What a glorious time to belong to. That's you and me. We belong to the most glorious time in the history of mankind, the age of grace, the church. That's awesome. Let's get into it. Let's see what Paul has to say here in chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ or Messiah, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Messiah Jesus through the gospel. That is wonderful. He says that no one knew or understood this plan of God even from the beginning of time. It was hidden in God. And now it was made known through his apostles and prophets. Paul specifically being the apostle called to the nations or the Gentiles to reveal this mystery. He keeps saying mystery, mystery, this mystery. And he explains to us what this mystery is. He says in verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, if you'll remember, he said that before even the beginning of time in chapter 1, it was predestined by God out of his good pleasure 
to bring Christ to the world. And so what the mystery was is that Christ was predetermined so that being a sin offering for man, He would separate us from our sins so that the Spirit of God could seal us unto salvation. He prayed in chapter 1 for the hope of our calling, the riches of our inheritance, and the power of God that's for us, that we would come to that knowledge. He said in chapter 2, we were once dead in sin, but now we're seated in heavenly places. He said we've become Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, and that now Israel, the chosen people of God, and the Gentiles become one body, and we are all now the chosen people, sons of God. That's an awesome mystery held that no one understood. And so he tells us that this mystery is that. You ready for it? There it is. This is the mystery. Totally explained. You see, the word mystery in Scripture is that which is hidden, now revealed. That which was not understood is now revealed. And that's the mystery. That through the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, right? What is the gospel? The good news, the what? That men can be saved through Jesus Christ. All flesh, all people. This is a, a cataclysmic shift in the earth, in theology, in salvation, soteriology, that now men can be saved through faith. In fact, it's the only way of salvation. Everything from Adam to Christ pointed to this time that all men, everywhere can be saved if they put faith in what Christ did on the cross. That's the mystery that Gentiles are heirs together, not second class. Not so many people say, well, we were grafted into the vine. Israel's is God's chosen people and we're like, you know, the leftovers. God couldn't get uh, Israel to agree, so he said, "All right, you bums get on the bus." So many people have that attitude. And it's so wrong. This is what God had predetermined, predestined, and purposed all along. Israel was a part of that plan. Even though they bungled it up, Jesus still accomplished it. Amen? And so this is God's purpose. That Here's the mystery hidden from all time. Let's get it right so we don't miss it. That Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. It always amazes me how people always say, Well, Israel's God's chosen people. So am I! How about you? We are God's chosen people. And so, members together of how many bodies? One body. And sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. We are one body in Christ Jesus. Now, he goes on and he says this. Let's read it as he speaks of what his purpose is. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is plain of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. All right? So there again, he reiterates, this mystery was hidden from all things, all people. It was hidden in God. Did you know the angels didn't even know this plan? Nobody knew this plan. 
Nobody. The prophets of old prophesied about it. Peter said they searched intently into their words and did not know the times of Messiah. They didn't know it. And Peter goes on to say, and in which things even the angels look into. It was a hidden mystery that God held. And Paul saying, by the grace of God, I was called to bring this revelation to all people. And the apostles and prophets. So Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. Do you know who the apostle to the Jews was? Peter. Scripture tells us that Peter's the apostle to the Jews and Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. Now, don't you think God's a little backwards on that one? Isn't that kind of funny? Now, who was the rabbi? Who was the scribe? Who was the Pharisee of Pharisees? Paul. Don't you think God would be smart enough to use Paul to go to the Jews? No, God was smart enough to use the one who could argue with the Jews for the sake of the Gentiles. And don't you love it? God made Peter, that rough, gruff fisherman, the apostle to the Jews and to the religious folks. Isn't it like God to mess things up? I'd have preferred it this way. How many of you have had that discussion with God? Could have been made a little easier, Lord. He knows what grid of sandpaper to use to begin polishing and cutting back on the flesh, doesn't he? And so Paul is, again, the steward of this mystery. Now, this is interesting. He, he says that he was given the unsearchable riches of Christ for the Gentiles to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. All right? So he needs to reveal the plan or the administration of this mystery. What's interesting is if you look at the mystery hidden that Christ would come so that the Gentiles could be saved, it reveals seven mysteries that no one fully understood because it opens up these understandings. Let me help you consider the administration of this mystery of Messiah coming to save the world. The first one is that Jesus is Messiah. How many of them understood fully the mystery that Messiah would suffer and die for the sins of man. Nobody. They didn't get that, okay? And so that reveals the mystery that Messiah must come, he must die. The, the disciples had trouble with this. They couldn't figure it out. They couldn't understand it. I must go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter says, no, I don't think so. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You, ain't got, you didn't get this figured out, Peter. So we have to understand that Jesus is Messiah. What do we then understand as well as Christ is transfigured on that mount of transfiguration and Christ begins to use the name of Jehovah God, I am, and he declares that he has the same attributes as the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then that mystery reveals that Messiah is in fact God in the flesh. No one expected that. Now this uh, opens up another mystery. Therefore, although we know that there is one God, we then understand at the baptism as this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, the Holy Spirit comes and lights upon Him. We now have a revelation of the mystery of God, the Godhead, that God is in fact what? Trinity, triunity. One God in three persons. That was held as a mystery. The Old Testament never understood that. Now, this revelation revealed in the fact 
of this mystery Paul preaching. Now, we then see that there is an administration of the Holy Spirit, that Christ died for us to remove our sins so that the Spirit of God could come dwell in man now and seal us unto the day of redemption. That was not understood before either, was it? That you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, in fact, destroys the temple because he's got a new one, the body of Christ. Oh, this thing keeps unfolding and opening and opening and opening. You have the privilege Do you remember how Jesus said God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth? Do you know until Christ came and saved us, the church, no one fully worshiped God in spirit and truth because they didn't understand the full truth that you have? That's why Jesus says John was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, but the least in the kingdom of God will be greater than John. We're all greater than the prophets of the Old Testament. Anybody? Anybody? Let's act like it. Let's move in it. You have mysteries in Revelation that, the, that Isaiah didn't have, that Ezekiel didn't comprehend, that King David had no idea of. But these mysteries and revelations are now open to us through the Apostle Paul. Now, if you've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in revelation knowledge, and he calls out the church, one new man from Jew and Gentile, that one new body is the ecclesia, ecclesia, the church. Now, that's revealed that there is a people of God, the body of Christ, the administration of his kingdom on earth. Wow, okay. Well, if that's the case, what do you do with Israel? God reveals to us in Romans 9, 10, and 11, I'm not done with Israel. And that will lead to the end times. That will help us understand how God's going to wrap this thing up. But for now, bring this salvation to all the earth. And so it unleashes the, the mystery and revelation of, of Israel. For, and then that opens the door for the end times. There were so many prophecies, but no one understood the dispensation between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. There are more prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ than there are the first. And so this opens up and reveals the end times of what God's plan is all about. And it also opens up the last mystery that there is an enemy that has been defeated at the cross but is still at work leading this world in rebellion against God, and that is Satan. The Old Testament knew about demons, they knew about Lucifer, but not to the extent of the revelation that has now come through the New Testament, so that we can find him out and put him under our feet. It was a heck of a mystery. Better yet, greater revelation. That's what Paul said, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. And unlocking this one mystery, that Christ came to the Gentiles so that the nations could be saved, that was his plan all along that whosoever will come may be saved. And it unleashes all this revelation that we are now stewards of. Folks, golly, this is much more interesting than American Idol. (laughs) This is much more, amen? This This is more fascinating than Xbox, PlayStation 3. This is much more interesting than casinos in Detroit. Much more interesting than anything else that might occupy people's times. We must. We've been given this revelation. And we're stewards of it. We must seek it day and night. We must know it. 
finding this pearl of great price, we should sell everything to know its riches and to have it. Oh, I encourage you, as Paul is saying, wake up to the knowledge of what is yours in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, let's go on and see what else he had to say about it in verse 10. So that through... Wait, these are Jimmy's glasses. Well, don't do that to me, Jimmy. (laughs) There were new mysteries I saw wearing those. Here we go. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Can you imagine that? The dimension of this revelation, now knowing what was hidden in God, you know God's heart. You know the secret God held in His heart for thousands and thousands of years. He kept it from the angels. He kept it from all mankind. You know it. And in this time that was predestined, that was purposed in God's plan for man, we live in it. And it says the reason He held it is so that now we could instruct the angels. So that through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom, the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Oh my goodness. What can you teach an angel? How to fly? What can you teach an angel? Let me ask you this. What does an angel need to know? Is there a dimension of God that these angels have no clue into? Relationship and love. What angel did Jesus die for? None. Do you see the demonstration of love for us? That these angels cannot comprehend. They look at you and they can't imagine to know that love. They're faithful to serve their Lord, but they cannot call Him Savior. They will join in the celebration of a single soul that gets saved. They begin to glorify God's love through Christ that another lost soul is found. They look into this mystery of God And they cannot comprehend a love like this. And to those fallen principalities and authorities and rulers of darkness, they scream and grit their teeth against this love that God demonstrated. We're teaching, the church is teaching, this cosmic realm of angels, both fallen and holy, what the love of God is all about. Let's school them. Let's teach them this love. Let's have such a love for God that we begin to move with such holy reverence and power for the sake of bringing lost souls to Christ. That's why God opened this time for us that we would teach and demonstrate this love and we would be called his sons. Now Paul thinks this is so amazing that he wants to pray for us 
So let's have him pray for us right now. Verse 14, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Let me just stop there for a minute. We're his family. We're called the sons of God. We're his bride. We're married to him. We're his body. We belong to him. And he tells us of the resurrection of Christ because he says, in whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Those who have gone before us are in heaven in his presence. There's one body of Christ. A great heavenly host of believers redeemed by the blood of the Lamb are in the presence of Christ now. And there's a body of Christ here on the earth. There is a body in heaven and on earth. You don't fight alone. You don't walk alone. Our hope is there in heaven. There's a great cloud of witnessing, witnesses that are cheering us on and declaring the will of God. And as one body, we're declaring the will of God from heaven. And he goes on and he says this, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." What is he praying for? He is praying that the Holy Spirit would give us the power. He prayed this in the first chapter, chapter 117. That the Holy Spirit would give us the power to really understand this love of God. The height, the width, the depth, and the length of the love of God. All the dimensions of the love of God. Now he uses an analogy because God's love is immeasurable. So when you go trying to measure it, its width, right? And you try to measure its height, you try to measure its depth. He, he's got to use some human language for us to get some kind of an idea. He, he has to put it in an analogy. He said, I, I want the Holy Spirit to come and give you the strength and the power and the ability to try and find this love out. That is awesome. Right? That is awesome. He says that I want you to know this love that is beyond knowledge. Huh? Think about that statement. To know this love that's beyond knowledge. Knowledge here is gnosis. I want you to know, experience, identify, and be united in a love that is beyond understanding. Comprehension. Right? How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, I used this poem in our marriage class, and it's a beautiful, wonderful ode to love. And what she does is she begins to examine her own soul. I love thee with every breath of the morning and uh, with every candlelight at night, uh, with every passion that I have. And she goes on and she begins to identify a love by her experiences, by every breath she breathes, by all this. She's examining her own soul and says, even when I die, may I love thee 
even greater than. And, and it's just a beautiful poem. And what she's really actually doing is trying to grasp the height, the width, the depth of a love she has in a human dimension. And human dimension cannot even compare to the glory of God. How many of you have searched the unsearchable riches of God? Can I tell you that we, we know so little of this love? Can I tell you why? And I don't mean to, I, I'm saying this to me. I'm not trying to ridicule anyone, but in all reality, if we really began to understand this love, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. Because we're living quite a complacent life compared to the passion of a love of God. We'd forsake all. And we do all for this love. And so we're growing to learn this love. We're growing to know this love in greater dimensions, which should cause such radical change in us. I pray, my prayer for us as a people, my prayer as your pastor is that you are not motivated out of fear of God, but you're motivated out of the love of God. Now the fear of God is an awesome and wondrous thing. It's the beginning of wisdom. But I would ask you to come more mature and deeper into God and move past the awe and wonder into an awe and wonder of his love. To be motivated by love. That I will not be tempted by this thing any longer because I love my Lord. I'll not fall into this sin or serve these things of my flesh because I love my God who loves me and demonstrated his love for us. Paul says, I'm praying that you have that revelation. This is what motivates the saint. This is what motivates us to meet together. This is what motivates us to speak up in every situation to the knowledge of Christ. This is what motivates us to serve Him on Monday. This is what motivates us to serve Him Tuesday. It's what motivates us to pray as we lay our head down on the pillow on Wednesday. It's what motivates us on Thursday. This love compels us for Fridays to preach the gospel. This love motivates me on Saturday. This love motivates me on Sunday. We're the church 24-7. We love Christ. He loves us. And we are actively demonstrating a love that's beyond head knowledge. But we know it. We know it. You know this love. It compels us. That's what Paul's praying for. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would give you a revelation of how high, how wide, how long, and how deep is the love of Christ. Wow, what a privileged people you are. I'm a little bit grieved because I look and I see these green chairs empty and I think here is what every human heart longs for, a love and an acceptance. They're out there killing themselves, being drugged around by a devil and an enemy of their souls. And these seats are empty. Oh, that they could come to know this love. Who, who are we that we did? How, did? how did we get to be so privileged? But we can't hold this privilege to ourselves. We've got to reach these people. They've got names. This person has a name right here. They've got names. I'm not trying to make a church big. I could care less 
about how big our church is. I don't want to number the church. David was, uh, brought a lot of sin upon himself by numbering. Have you ever noticed that? You know, this is one of the big things. I'm going off on a tangent. I'm going to do it anyways. But as pastors, we get together, and the first question, oh, how big's your church? How about you? How big's your church? You know? Really? Oh, you go to that church? Oh, how big is it? Really? You know, the Lord's been bringing to my mind, when David numbered his army, he brought sin upon himself. How big's your church? Not big enough. Because there's too many souls out there. Does it matter how many people come to my church? I don't care how many people come to my church. I want to be a people of God who care about Jesus. Amen? And that we're growing in discipling the Lord. But we've got to reach those people. Let's reach them. If they all go to other churches, hallelujah, praise God. Let's just be about the Lord's business. Amen? Can we do this? Can we save souls whether they come here or not? It's not about building this building. It's building the kingdom. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ? We conclude with this. He goes on and he says now that this love that you would know is the love of Christ that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what he's saying is that if the love of God dwells in you richly, you understand this love... What this love is, is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it is a person. It's Jesus Christ Himself, who is the fullness of God. What dwells in us is not warm fuzzies, but Christ Himself, who is the love of God. The love of God compels me. That same love that brought Christ to the cross for the world is in me. It's Christ Himself beckoning to a dying world, going to the cross for a dying world. That same Spirit dwells in me. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. There's nothing that should be stopping us to bring this gospel to our neighborhood and to the world. Oh, we've got to come alive to Christ. I know we all want to feel the warm fuzzies and love of Jesus. Could I encourage you to feel Christ himself in us? The hope of glory. He goes on and he says this in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or even think, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Now unto him who is able to... (laughs) do far more exceeding, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or imagine. Unto him who's able to do this. He prayed the power of the Holy Spirit would get people to understand this love. And now he says, oh, he's able to. He's able to give you an understanding of the love of God, which is Christ himself, above what you could even ask or imagine. Now here's what's so awesome. This is what's amazing. He said, my God, how many of you believe God can do it beyond what you could even ask? What you can even imagine. You can't even think far enough in advance to what God could do. You can't even dream up the most incredible dream beyond where God could work. And may I say that God is answering some of your prayers, but he's answering them beyond what you could ask for and even imagine, and you're thinking he's not hearing. I've done this once or twice. I've grumbled about God's answering my prayers. And when things happened, maybe years later, he had orchestrated something so far beyond what I even asked or could have imagined. 
Who are we to doubt God? Sometimes, most of the time, he's at a level of answering your prayers beyond what you ask. Could you imagine if God answered just what we asked? Ooh, we would be in trouble. But he moves in a realm beyond what we ask or could even imagine. But this is what I love. According to the power that is at work in you, in us. He partners with us. Are you kidding me? That's like running a sack race with us. How many of you remember picnics where you had, each had a foot in a sack and you're running like this and you ever get stuck with the guy that can't do that? <laughs> or they tie their feet together? That's us and Jesus. Come on, Tim. You're going too fast. He will do and answer our prayers according to the power that's at work in us. The very power of his Holy Spirit, who is the parakletos, which means called alongside of. He won't do it for us. He'll do it with us. All of this is training to rule and reign with him. When you pray a prayer, get ready to answer it with him. God, do this. God, do that. God, do this. I'd be happy to. Come on. No, you do it. No, you do it. <laughs> How about we do it? Right? When we pray for healing, brothers and sisters, we go, oh, where are you, God? Come on, show up. He said, I'll show up through you, with you. Keep praying, keep operating, keep learning, keep growing. Together, God is maturing us, using us, developing us. You're the answers to someone else's prayer. Me and God. Hallelujah, we need God in there. Right? But unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly. Not just exceeding, but he throws in an abundance on that exceeding. That's a lot. Exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine according to the power that is at work with us. And listen, if that power is at work in the church, this is what he ends on. This doxology, which is tremendous. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. There should be glory in the church. The presence and weight of God should be in the people of God who are doing exceeding abundant exploits for God. Where do we rate in that? Could I challenge us today? If we had a scale of exceeding abundantly exploits of for God, where do we rate? Where's our level of faith? What are we doing as a people of God? Well, we meet together once a week. That's pretty good. I know it's a miracle. Amazing. Sing a few songs, listen to guy talk. Awesome. That's beyond. Could you imagine, God? This is more than I ever expected. They're meeting together and singing. Wow. It's a little sarcasm. Sometimes it goes a long way. I'm challenging us as a people. And can I say this is not good enough for this verse? This is not glory in the church. I understand it's a cumulative glory throughout the ages. I understand that. But may I say that if we would trust God and if we would press in, all of you, you saw, 
you are so, you're such a cool group of people. You're so unique. Each of you has this wonderful, unique diversity and background that God saved you from. You all have these awesome gifts. You, you ought to get to know each other. This is an amazing group of people. I am so serious. Such wonderful diversity and, and knowledge between each other. If we would begin to come together and work with this for that community out there that is dead and begin to speak to the dry bones and begin to breathe life into them and work together, that glory would be in the church, in this church, in Christ. From generation to generation, I close with this. He called us to that. In that statement of from generation to generation, we are included to that glory. Whatever glory was in the first day of the New Testament church is supposed to last till the last day of the New Testament church. That glory is ours. Let's live it. Let's pray for it. Let's seek it in Jesus' name. Are you with me? Amen and amen. Let's stand together and thank God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we belong.